In part 10 of Five Pillars of Biblical Manhood, Pastor John Mark Caton reiterates doing everything in love. From 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, John Mark showcases six examples of what it looks like to do everything in love. Now let's hear from John Mark. All right, good seeing you guys today. And uh, as we come to the conclusion today of, uh, of our five pillars, we, uh, uh, man, hopefully you've, uh, you've really gleaned from them, learned some insights, and uh, it's good to, uh, good to finish something up, but also good to finish something up uh, on a high note, right? Uh, on something when we look at uh, someone who really is another man uh, led the way and showing us how to do uh, and perform and act out the uh, fifth pillar of love, which is to do everything in love. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Finish on a high note. Every one of these five pillars, we've looked at some dude that has failed miserably. Then we looked at some dude that succeeded. And we constantly and consistently want to be more and more uh, on that side of succeeding at each one of these pillars. And this last one is no different. That we as God's men, men of God, uh, we ought to do everything in love, in our families, in our church, in our communities, in our relationships, at the office, as best we can to always do everything we can in love. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. This has been uh, our focus passage, these two verses, where Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers, and he says, Be on your guard, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. And every one of those pillars, all of those four pillars prior to this, some guy that succeeded in Scripture, we love that about Scripture, is it shows us the failures as well as the successes, and then some guy that rallied back. And as we think about our lives, guys, don't ever forget, if you fell in one of these areas, as long as there is breath in your lungs, God has a call on your life to turn around in the area you fell in that you can then in turn succeed in. And today we're going to talk about a guy uh, named Boaz and a gal named Ruth. And when we think about a man that steps up and really does everything in love, it's Boaz. And we're going to look at a couple of reasons why it's so special in what he did. Last week, you remember that the Corinthian church failed in love. And they were divided, they were backbiting, they were gossiping and slandering about each other, they were separated. Man, when someone new showed up, they didn't like them, they kind of gave them the a relational and spiritual uh, Heisman. But today we're going to look at a guy named Boaz who was incredibly successful. But at the end of the day, he was willing to do everything in love. And so guys, my invitation to us is let's be the kind of men that God calls us to be, that we are willing to, in the midst of our masculinity, and I encourage that, by the way, in the midst of our strength and being on guard and all of those ideas, but we would also be the kind of men that would do things in love, that we would look around at others who are hurting, others who are struggling, others who are in need, and we'd be willing to do everything in love. And so you say, Pastor, what does it mean as we finish this to do everything in love? Let me give you thought number one. You might want to just write this down. Man, love wins. We do everything in love, and love wins when we show respect for those who are not like us. When we show respect to those who are not like us. I use the word respect. 
that uh, a lot of times if we hear someone is uh, from a, a different place or a different country or a, a different city or even a different state being in Texas, right? Uh, we have a tendency not to show them respect when someone doesn't like the Cowboys. It's truly hard, right? Not to show them any respect. But if we are going to really love and do everything in love, we've got to show some respect for people who are not, are not like us. Notice as you pick it up and read, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in, in the days when the judges ruled. So we're all the way back in the book of Judges, okay? Ruth happened in the season, the time of the judges. It says, uh, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now let me just stop you right there. Let me tell you a little bit about Moab. How many of you have at least heard of the Moabites? All right, Moab is a location. If you'll take uh, really uh, the Sea of Galilee up north on the eastern border of, uh, uh, of Israel, and then you have uh, the Jordan River all the way down to the Dead Sea, take down next to the Dead Sea, a little east of the Dead Sea in the lower area. Beautiful land, uh, spacious land, but she was a Moabite. When we think about he loved a Moabite, what does that mean? Anybody in here know what the word Moab means? The exact translation is, of my father. Of my father. You say, okay, why is that important? Well, you know how the Moabites started. Go back to Genesis chapter 19. How many of you remember a guy named Lot? Lot had gone off and Abraham said, hey, which territory do you want? Lot chose one side of the territory, went. Got out, ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah. How many of you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember in Genesis chapter 19, the two angels rolled into town. They said, we want to sleep in the city square. And Lot said, that is not a good idea. Uh, the men of the city are evil. Stay in my house. Then the men of the city heard these two dudes were in. And they came up and knocked on the door. Remember, how, how, do you, how did Lot respond to the guys when they wanted to drag those guys out and rape them? Remember who he offered? His daughters. All right? You continue to read the story. What happened? God shows up and says, Lot, you better get out. I'm about to destroy this place. Lot ends up leaving. God pours down burning sulfur and destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. How many of you remember what happened to Lot's wife as she was told to go and not look back? What happened? She turned around and turned into a pillar of salt. So Lot goes on and makes his journey, and they ultimately stay in a city, and then they go live in a cave. It's Lot and his two daughters. This is the beauty of God's Word. God's Word doesn't sugarcoat it. God's Word doesn't whitewash. If you go read Genesis chapter 19, Lot's two daughters get him drunk. He has an incestual relationship with his two daughters. They both bear a son. The oldest bears a son named Moab, and his name means of my father. The second daughter bears a son named Ammon. They become the Ammonites. So if you wonder, when you look in Scripture, you see where all of these people come to. So the Moabites were considered, man, they were not the kind of people that you wanted to be around. They were just east of the Jordan in the time of the judges when they would rise up and get strong. They would come into the promised land. They would steal the crops, steal the grain, do all of those things. But 
my favorite story, one of my favorite story, remember this is, it happens in the time of the judges, one of my favorite stories in all scripture is of the king of the Moabites. Anybody remember in Judges, Judges chapter 3, you can go read this. For 18 years, the Moabites under King Eglon constantly came in and attacked the children of Israel over and over and over and over again. How many of you remember the pattern in the book of Judges? The children of Israel would do evil in the sight of the Lord. Then they would cry out to the Lord. The Lord would raise a judge or a deliverer. They would go in and overthrow the enemy that was oppressing them. And then the children of Israel would rally back. They would confess. They would worship. And then what would happen? The, other, the cycle would begin again. They would begin to what? Go downhill, begin to be unfaithful to God. God would lift his hand of protection. Then ultimately an enemy would overthrow them. But if you go look at Judges chapter 3, the king of the Moabites was named Eglon. It says he was a fat man. Everybody say fat man. God raised up after 18 years of oppression. The children of Israel finally cried out to God. God raised up a judge named Ehud. Ehud happened to be left-handed. Anybody remember this story? Ehud says, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to take out, I'm going to go over Moab, it's just over the river. I'm going to go over and I'm going to take out the king. Well, how does he take out the king? He goes over and he says, listen, tell the king that I bring a gift from the children of Israel to him. And they say, oh, okay, go in. They search him. Now, interestingly enough, most fighters in that day are right-handed, which means you would strap your knife or your sword on your left hip, right? No one pulls a sword out of this side. But he was left-handed and he created a small dagger, 12 to 16 inches long, and he put it under his cloak, gets in to go see the king speaks with the king, turns around to walk out. Then he turns around and says, King, I got a message for you. And he goes, he goes, oh, speak. And he goes, no, 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 it's a private message just for you. The king invites his soldiers and his security guards to leave. They shut the door. He leans down, whispers in his ear, pulls that dagger out, shoves it in his stomach all the way through. So the dagger is covered up by the fat. And he rolls out, having killed king. That was a Moabite king. So when you think about Moabites all the way through, they were all around, and that's the history of the Moabites. My favorite story, go read it. Then he goes and blows a trumpet. They killed 10,000 Moabites. The children of Israel, Israel rallied that day. So here you have this. You have Ruth, who is a Moabite. The children of Israel know the history. As a matter of fact, when the children of Israel are coming into the promised land, the Moabites are telling the children of Israel, before you go into the promised land, we don't want you to come through our land. They don't like each other. They're not friends. They're not family. As a matter of fact, you go look where Moses died and transferred the power over to Joshua is in the mountains of Moab. So we're talking about a people that were just across the river from the children of Israel that were not considered friendly. If the Moabites had a strong place and a strong king and they were strong as a country, they were always wreaking havoc on the children of Israel. So now when we come back and we think about Boaz, here he has and he finds this Moabite woman who has journeyed into the promised land. Most of the time when Moabites came into the promised land, they were there to plunder and steal and do bad things. 
But instead, Boaz accepts her for who he is. So let's continue to read. It says, to the country of Moab, the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. You know that. And the two sons were also named Malon and Kelon. They were, they were um, Ephrathites from Bethlehem of Judah. And they went down to Moab and lived there. And it says, now Elimelech, Noah's, Naomi's husband, died, and she left the two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, not Oprah, one named Orpah, and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kelon died, and Naomi was left without her two sons or her husband. And so as we think about this, when, when Naomi and Ruth come back, Boaz had no reason to respect her, no reason to treat her well, no reason to care for her. She wasn't one of his. He had nothing to do with her, but he respected her. And guys, you know, as we think about doing everything in love, as you and I journey through life, especially in this world, in this space, in this place, we need to consistently demonstrate a respect for others who are not like us. You want to show yourself to be a true man, a godly man, is respect people oftentimes who haven't done anything to deserve it, but just give them the respect that God would want, to get, want you to give them, and that's when love wins. Here's the second thought. Love wins when we accept those who make a gen genuine commitment to faith regardless of their past. Love wins when we accept people who make a genuine commitment to their faith and of their faith regardless of their past. I know that as a pastor over the years that uh, I've known men and I've seen men who have had a radical relationship change with Jesus Christ, but they have a checkered past. How many of you know some guys like that? And I've known those kind of men that will come into a church and a church will struggle to accept them. A church that will come in and say, well, you know what they did? You know what they did? You know what they did? Or did you hear? And guys, love wins when men accept people for who they are after they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. We don't keep talking about their past. We don't keep dragging their past up in front of others. We ex simply accept them for who they are. You say, Pastor, where is this radical relationship change that Naomi had going from worshiping the Moabite gods to worshiping the one true God? Notice what happens in, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And they went, um, and they wept aloud, as they wept aloud, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. So here's what had happened. Naomi, Naomi said, Man, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. I'm going back to Bethlehem, going back where, we should, where I should, should be anyway. And she looks at Orpah, and she looks at Ruth and says, Y'all stay here. Orpah kisses her. They weep and stays there. And then notice what happens, verse 15. Look, said Naomi, talking to Ruth, Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But here's what Ruth says. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back for you. For where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So they return to Bethlehem. So here's, here's the idea. First of all, we want to show respect to people who are not like us. Man, you want to be salt and light? Let's be men who show respect to people that others might not even think deserve respect. Thought number two is this. Man, let's accept people who have made a genuine 
decisions for Jesus Christ regardless of their past. You were never going to take the Moabite out of Ruth. You weren't. There are some people you can never take away their past. They can never take away their past. The only thing that can happen is God can forgive them of their past. But if we are going to be the kind of men in a God-honoring church, that when a man makes a decision for Christ, that we will accept them for who they are. Yeah, they may have a Moabite past, but their present is one that is forgiven and faithful as they walk with God. And as men, as a church, man, we've got to accept that and celebrate that. Here's the third thought. If we're going to do everything in love and if we're going to let love win, man, we always have to be on the lookout for new people. We always need to be on the lookout for new people. Guys, let me encourage you. Uh, you know, just a few minutes ago, Justin asked for newcomers or whatever. When you come in here every Tuesday morning, I want you to know it's incredible. And, and we know what's going to happen. The natural thing is we develop relationships in here, right? And you have a tendency to sit at the same table. But also, when you come in here every week, at least meet one person new. If, if there is a new guy that walks in here, shows up, man, seek them out. When you're here on Sunday morning, Man, if you look around and you see someone that say they look a little lost, they don't know where they're going, they can't even find the coffee, that's when you know they're not from our church, right? If they don't know where the coffee is, it's first time, right? Man, we need to constantly, as men, be on the lookout for people that have that lost look in their eyes. Where do I go? What do I do? Uh, do I see anybody? And that's what we see here. I, I love it that Boaz, let me tell you what, what we know about Boaz he was an incredibly successful dude. But he noticed when someone was new in his field. He noticed Ruth. He says, all right, who's that? And so you and I, man, men, men, when we walk through the halls of our church on Sunday morning, you're in your life group, or you're doing this, or you're doing that, man, look around the congregation. And if you see someone that you've never seen before, go introduce yourself to them. Take note. Man, that's when love wins. And so I love this idea that, that for all of his success and all of his strengths, that Boaz looks in the field and says, that's someone new. That's someone different. And you read it, notice what it says, verse 5, Ruth chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Boaz asked the overseer and the harvester, who does that young woman belong to? And then notice as you read on, verse 6, the overseer replied, she is a Moabite. All right, now we've already talked about Moabites. That's when he could have said, oh, that's her, right? That would have been an appropriate response for an Israelite dude to say, oh, one of those. He could have even said, listen, I don't allow Moabites to glean with Jewish women until the Jewish women have gotten all they want. He absolutely was in his right to do that. There was a lot of reasons for him to overlook her, but instead he said, I'm going to respect her even though she's a Moabite. I'm going to acknowledge her because she's new. But then I love this idea is that I'm always going to be looking for new people. It says she is a Moabite who came back to, from Moab with Naomi. And look at verse 7. She says, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here, and so this is her overseer telling him, remained here from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. And I love this. So Boaz, as big as he was, still noticed new people. 
Guys, as a church, we can never get to, play, get to a place where we don't notice new people. How many of us understand that? We've always got to notice new people. Man, I, I love the ideas. I just look around in here. There are a couple in here that y'all are new. And as a church, we take notice. And why do we take notice? Because as a God, God takes notice. And if God takes notice of every new person that strolls into one of his God-honoring churches, so should we. How many of us understand that? If God's not too big to take notice of one new person, neither are we. So guys, I'm going to encourage us to do everything in love. And show respect for people who are different than us. When someone makes a genuine commitment for Christ, we're not going to drag up their past. When a new person shows up, we're going to acknowledge them. See, sometimes that means that you're sitting there talking in your friend group, and you go, hang on just a second. Let me go make sure these folks know where they're going. Make sure these folks know where they're going. Here's a forethought. You ready? We know how love is. We're going to do everything in love. Love when? When we are kind and generous to others. Not only did Boaz take notice of Ruth, then he went the extra mile. He didn't just say, all right, let her keep gleaning. But instead, he, he chooses generosity. So notice what it says. You pick it up in verse 8. It says, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Here's his kindness, my daughter. He didn't say, hey, Moabite. Uh, hey, Moabite woman. He, he says, my daughter, I love that idea. He says, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. He says, I have told the men they are not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So he goes beyond just respecting her. He goes beyond just accepting her. Now he's showing kindness and generosity. He's going the extra mile. And if we as men are going to do, the, do everything in love, we've got to be the kind of men that are willing to go the extra mile. Yeah, show respect. Yeah, acknowledge someone new. Yeah, accept their salvation experience. But guys, let's be generous and kind to people. Let's go the extra mile. Man, what an amazing day it was. I want you to know, as your pastor, we talked about this as a staff, that, that, that the gift weekend was amazing. How many of you were at least here on the gift weekend this week? It was amazing. Uh, 112, 115, how many thousand meals packed? Um, here was the problem. You know what the problem was? It was our problem. We only thought y'all could do 112,000 meals. That was on us. Y'all did it in half the time we thought you could do it. That's on us. By the way, you're getting 200,000 meals next year, so plan on being here. <laughs> or Justin's, Justin and Justin are going to be packing a lot of meals the next day. And I'll throw Dave in there. I, here, here's, you know, that was cool. People giving blood, that was cool. Man, all the Operation Christmas Child boxes... We're still collecting them. We'll be collecting them. Ron out here in the Operation Christmas Child box, standing out front. Out, I need to take a picture of you if you're out there today. Posted. Ron just saying, man, drop your box off here. All that was cool. All that was cool. Let me tell you what I thought the coolest thing was. Uh, girls giving ponytails. Two dudes gave ponytails to help, help little girls with cancer who need wigs. Awesome. 
two dudes. Now, they both really needed haircuts, uh, but it was a good thing. You want, to, you want me to tell you what I thought one of the coolest things was? Right over there, we had a bunch of tables where men were sitting over there coloring. I'm not kidding. To send cards to orphans. That was cool. Now, some of them were terrible. I'm like, dude, you're supposed to stay in the lines at some point. But any, how many, did anybody in here color a card? Did anybody ever walk over there and see them? That was one of the coolest things I think I've ever seen. Is men sitting there coloring cards to put with the gifts and the boxes that are going to kids who, if it were not for the men of Cottonwood Creek, they wouldn't be having a Christmas gift. And a bunch. Guillermo, I posted a picture of him. So if you if you ever need someone to color a Christmas card, Guillermo, he's dude. He was pretty good too. He was slow as Christmas, but he was good. Had the whole family over there, didn't you? Setting setting an example, guys. That's when it matters. It's when dudes and dads and men of God step up. We're kind and generous. Man, we didn't have to pay for all those meals. By the way, not only did you have to pack them, we, had, we made y'all pay for them too. All the Operation Christmas Child boxes, we're gonna pay all the transportation, that's what we do. All the cards, all the gifts, ponytails, the blood. FYI, financially it's all on you. But man, if we're truly gonna fulfill this pillar and do everything in love, we've got to step up and be kind and generous. I love what he says. He says, not only can you glean in the fields, he goes, you need some water, go get the good stuff. You need a little extra barley, we're going to set a little extra, side, extra aside for you. Why? Because all he wants to do is be kind and generous to others. Here's the fifth thought. If we're going to do everything in love, we have to remember love wins when we acknowledge and praise others when they do something good. A mature man, a God-honoring man, remembers it's no longer all about him. It's about us praising someone else when they do the right thing, when they step up. And I love it. That's exactly what we see here as you journey on. Look at uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 10. It says that this, she bowed down, with her face to the ground, and she asked, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? She acknowledges, right? And I will tell you, notice she hadn't forgot. She was a Moabite. Guys, we don't ever have to remind someone that comes in here, gets saved from a difficult and a checkered past, that they had a difficult and checkered past. We don't have to remind them. I love this idea, although, although uh, Boaz has already told her and showed her through his actions that he wasn't going to treat her like a Moabite, she still remembered. And she says, why do you treat me this way? I'm a foreigner. And that's where we have to understand when we are loving people, we don't have to drag up their past. Satan will do it for you guys. Isn't it the way it is in your life and my life? Man, you don't have to tell me about where I, where I failed in the past. Satan reminds me every day. How many of us understand that? Our job is to help people see a brighter future. And she says, man, why are you doing this? I'm nothing more than a foreigner. 
And notice his response. I love it. Boaz replied, here's the respect. He just ignores that. He goes, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Man, what is he saying? He says, listen, what you're doing is good, and I'm going to acknowledge that. Boaz is saying, this is no longer about me. You know what Boaz was saying? I've got plenty of grain. Guys, some of us have plenty of grain. How many of you know? He says, I've, I've got plenty of fields. I've got plenty of this. I've got plenty of that. He was saying, listen, here's what I've noticed. You made a commitment in your faith and said, our God is now your God. And he goes, I'm going to honor that. I've got enough grain. He says, you made a commitment that, yeah, you're probably right. Journeying back to Bethlehem with Naomi, a widow, as a widow, probably will not go well for your soul. We know the end of this story, right? But I will promise you, anybody else, most others, they go back, they live with a widow, as a widow, the rest of their life. The rest of her life, had this not been a full God thing, would be her gleaning in the field the rest of her life. Now, we know the end of the story. It's all about God's grace. It's all about God's love, right? But guys, listen, this is all about Boaz saying, I've got enough. I'm going to respect someone who's not like me. I'm going to honor someone who makes a strong commitment to faith. I'm going to praise someone who does something good. And listen, I'm going to be kind and generous to others. And here's the final thought I want us to look at. Love wins when we bless others with the blessings we have received. Love wins when we bless others with the blessings we have received. Look at it in verse 12. It says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. I love that. He says, let me put your heart at ease. I'm not going to treat you like a Moabite. I'm not going to treat you like a foreigner. I'm not going to treat you like someone that is a relative and descendant of an incestuous relationship. I'm not going to drag up your past. I'm not going to force you just to glean what you can. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be generous. And I'm going to respect you. But it starts with you and I. Perhaps as we leave today, looking for someone new. As you journey to the office today, meet someone new. When you come back into God's house this weekend, look in these hallways. Find someone new, someone new, and then do everything in love. Let's pray. Guys, thank God, thank you so much for these guys. Thank you for the time we've had over the past few weeks at looking at men, men of God who have failed miserably, men of God who have succeeded amazingly, men of God who have been everywhere in between. God, it is my prayer and my desire that as a men of Cottonwood, we would be men who are on our guard. We would be men who stand firm in the faith. 
we would be men who are courageous. We'd be men who are strong. And we'd be men who do everything in love because those are the kind of men that you seek and search for throughout the entire earth so that you would bless them and keep them in the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. That's cottonwoodcreek.org.